Welcome to episode 98 of Coffee Pods and Wads, sponsored by Rain Bodyfield, the ultimate fitness-focused drink to support performance, and also kindly sponsored by Ollie Clothing, a brand dedicated to helping you in your pursuit of success. They make products that support all active endeavours, and they create content that adds clarity and convenience to the self-development process. BirdBoxCoachDevelopment.com will help develop a coach in a personal sense through self-discovery while learning academically about the psychological side of coaching, and you can use code PODS in all caps for 20% off that. And the gymnastics course has opened its online platform for programming and for completing the certificate as well. Um, and we'll be giving away a free month of programming for gymnastics to a randomly se- selected um, patron of the show. You can join up um, through the link in my bio or on coffeepodsandwads.com or patreon.com forward slash coffeepodsandwads. Um, there's still a 40% off on reebok.com for US residents up until uh, tomorrow or Friday, not sure, the 19th. Um, there's certain exclusions on that. Um, so you can use the code PODS40 for a checkout uh, discount on that. Um, today's episode is a double header. So first up, we've got Drew Manning from Fit to Fat to Fit. Um, he has twice now gained weight in order to gain, I suppose, empathy for his clients and then to prove that it's possible to change. Uh, we chat about the gain and loss periods, um, as well as some misconceptions people have about uh, diet and what it takes to lose weight. Then directly after that, we've got uh, Bern K. Prince. Uh, Bern is a coach at Invictus Boston and has been involved in CrossFit for a hell of a long time. Uh, last year, he launched the Invictus Invitational. That's a competition that's centered on inclusion. Um, and it's back this summer with qualifiers currently taking place and sign-ups still available on Competition Corner. We chat about inclusion in CrossFit, the racial imbalances in the sport, and all stuff Boston Invitational. Enjoy, listen, share, and tag. So, uh, first of all, thanks a million for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, we'll we'll start off nice and gentle. So, what's the? You're in Salt Lake, is it? Yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah. And what's the coffee scene like there? Coffee scene? Yeah, it's got decent coffee. I mean, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a couple places that I would recommend. Uh, if anyone came into town and be like, all right, we got like two or three, I would say awesome coffee shops here that are just not Starbucks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And you, <laughs> um, you do your, uh, I saw you do a, a gratitude journal in the morning. And I saw I today's entry you put in iced coffee as one of your your uh, sources of your gratitude. Is that yeah. like, is that something you make yourself or do you buy it in? Uh, I usually buy it um, making, so it's cold brew. Uh, okay. Iced coffee is different. I don't, I'm not a big fan of iced coffee, but cold brew is where it's at. Um, and there are like at home, you know, ways to make it. It just, I don't have the time for that. So I just buy some like uh, organic, uh, nice, you know, high, you know, high quality coffee uh, that's cold brew. And I, I don't always enjoy hot coffee. Like I like cold, cold brew is nice because it also doesn't stain your teeth as much and it's not as acidic. So you know, it doesn't cause any stomach issues for some people. Um, so those are kind of the two benefits. And I like it strong. It's it's a little bit stronger. <laughs> That's interesting about not is that because it's not hot that it doesn't stay in your teeth or why is that? I don't know. It's a different it's a different um, chemical makeup, I believe. I'll have to do some research to know the science behind why it doesn't do that. I think it has to do with the acidity levels, which are just it, they're different, hot versus cold. Yeah. Um, it's just a different acid, acidity level, I believe. Oh, I suppose yeah, because for cold brew, you steep beans or you steep grinds in cold water, so it actually never goes hot. So I suppose yes. the heat must extract something different out of it or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. Um, so. <laughs> something I like asking my my guests about is a favorite coffee memory. Um, so so some people take this as a specific like bean that they had. Other people take it as a place they were, or someone they were with, or you know something that happened that happened to involve uh, coffee on the periphery. Is there anything that stands out to you? Yeah, for sure. So here's uh, a lot of people don't know this about 
probably, but I didn't drink coffee growing up. It was kind of against my religion. So I didn't drink coffee until I was like 34, 35. <laughs> and Mormon, I remember, were you Mormon, is it? Yeah, I grew up Mormon. And okay. um, why yeah. is it um, what is it forbidden? Because it's addictive or because it's a stimulant or what's the... It's part of like the commandments. Uh, you're not allowed to because, uh, you know, the church never really gives a reason why. Because okay. um, we, we said so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably, if I had to assume, probably because of the addictive nature of, of coffee or caffeine yeah. in general. But the church has later said caffeine's okay, but for some reason, coffee's not okay. But energy drinks are okay for some reason. Like you can. <laughs> they must, they must have bought stocks in Monsters. <laughs> 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 Maybe. So I didn't grow up drinking coffee. And then me and my ex-wife, when we were going through our divorce, we moved to Hawaii together as a family, even though we were divorced. And that's where we, I remember buying some local coffee just at Walmart, but like some local Hawaiian brands. And I was like, oh, this macadamia nut flavored coffee is like my favorite jam. And I remember buying our first coffee pot, learning how to make coffee. And here I am a 35 year old grown man you know, figuring out how to make coffee, but I just, I, I loved it. I loved the, you know, even though, you know, black coffee didn't taste like amazing, it was still the fact that, man, I've been missing this my whole life. And so being in Hawaii, macadamia nut flavor coffee, I can't remember the brand, but in my little apartment, uh, making that. Cool. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not the first to mention Hawaii as um, a coffee <clears throat> memory. you're definitely the first to mention moving to Hawaii with their ex-wife in the middle of a divorce that's never happened before but but you are the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah was that was that yeah. like uh is that in an effort to kind of preserve the family unit even though like obviously there was going to be some sort of split <clears throat> was it kind of to like force yourselves to preserve the unit or was it like a you know was it just a natural thing to do that's a good question. Obviously, it's not the norm. What we did is very uncommon when divorced couples move out of state together to share an apartment together. But it was partly to get out of the Utah culture, which can be very kind of suffocating. Everyone knew us out here because I had done fit to fit to fit. So people knew us as a couple and to go through a divorce publicly, mm. also with the local community. It was just it's just everyone's up in your business. So going to Hawaii which is where my family's from on my dad's side. So we had connections there, but no one really knew who we were. So we could go out there and be whoever we wanted without people, you know, oh, there's Drew the Fit Red Fit guy versus his wife, Lynn. There was none of that. And so it was a great place to heal individually. So we would spend a lot of time alone where I would watch the kids. She would go off and, you know, hike or go to the beach and, and then we would trade off. And that seemed to help uh, both of us heal. Um, and so that's, that was kind of our strategy in, in moving out to Hawaii. And it was probably the best thing we could have ever done because we're still friends today. There's no drama. There's no ugliness. Um, it was just, it was probably the best way to get divorced, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, I'm glad we did it. Mm. You mentioned like religion there at the start. Is that something that you kind of veered away from earlier on in your life or more recently? It was more recent. You know, I, I grew up in, uh, you know, uh, the, the culture of the Mormon church you know, and so I was 100% bought in because that's all I had, I had ever known. And so for me, it was true because that's what my parents taught me. That's what my siblings, you know, believed in. And so I was like, okay, I got to fit in. So I believed it as well. And then when I became, <laughs> when I started learning facts that I had been told were like anti-Mormon, I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. Why was this hid from me? If it's factual and it's the truth, why did the church tell me that this wasn't 
this was just anti-Mormon stuff that people were putting out there. But then it's like, okay, now the church is admitting these things happening. And I'm like using my logical part of my brain. I'm like, wait, the dots aren't connecting anymore. The magic of this whole thing is kind of falling apart for me. And it's kind of like, I don't want to make fun of it, but it's kind of like comparing it to when you find out Santa's not real. It's like, you're connecting the dots. You're like, wait a second. So this stuff isn't, (laughs) yeah, you're like, this stuff isn't making sense anymore. How does this happen? wait, I never even thought about this. And so you start to become more logical. And I was like, okay, I can see it through new lens. Now I can see it as an organization, like every other church, they do a lot of good for a lot of people. And, you know, but for me to be 100% believing just is really hard for me. Just same thing with like Santa. I can't go back to believing that is true. (laughs) You know, I could try and wrap my brain around it, but it's just, uh, once you take that the blue pill, I think, you know, from the matrix, like mm. you can't, you can't look at it through the same lens anymore, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. Um, do you listen to a lot of podcasts? Mm-hmm. What are your, what are your go-to? Um, my main ones I would say on a regular basis are Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, and um, what's one recently that I've been, uh, Brene Brown. Those are kind of like my more, you know, you know, once Religious every stuff, couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Once every couple weeks. Um, what, what, is it that brings, what is it that brings you back to those? I think it's the diversity of the, of the topics. Like it could be anything from nutrition to, uh, diet and exercise to aliens, to <laughs> psychedelics, to, you know, um, all kinds of cool stuff. And so it's usually stuff that I like, I'll listen to the episodes that I'm like, Oh, like Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey, for example, I'm like, dude, I love that guy. I'd love to hear more about a story or Jimmy Fox. Uh, so it, it's the diversity of the episodes for me that I like to, you know, see what else is going on in the world that I have no expertise on. Like mm-hmm. I like some of the people that Joe Rogan has on like experts in sleep and, and other areas of, of science that I'm like, Oh, I did I had no idea this kind of stuff existed. Tim Ferriss, he talks about relationship stuff as well sometimes. And uh, you know, very stoic topics that are applicable to me and mm-hmm. where I'm at with my spirituality now. So yeah, it has a lot of good diversity. I would say. I think the good thing about them is that you can literally just dip in, and listen to a random yeah. you know it's not like linear <laughs> like you don't need to be fo- it's not like a true crime thing where you're like wait a minute who's this guy and what like what was he doing there like at least you could just dip you, like i remember like seeing robert downey jr was on uh joe rogan's and i just dropped in listen to that one I, at no point was i confused about what was going on you know there's no yeah. like constant references to like uh catchphrases or things that have been said in the past or anything it's just so every episode is new so i think that's that's always good um you use a podcast to chart your own uh your your fit to fat to fit story why did you choose that medium above like the others that were available that's a good question i started actually in hawaii (laughs) same same place to start new things right um and i I was kind of talked into it by another podcaster sean stevenson who he's another one that i listened to called the model health show his is mostly health focused right um but uh, yeah, he's like, dude, you should start a podcast. And I'm like, well, I have all the other boxes checked, like if Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, why not like have another platform? Because I love podcasts. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should start my own podcast. And so here we are five, six years, five, five, almost six years into this journey of, um, of doing a podcast. And I just kind of, it's one of those things where I stick with it because it's a hobby of mine. You know, it's, I don't, I'm not making big bucks like Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, but maybe similar to you, like it's enjoyable because you get to connect with new people that you might not ever have the chance to connect with 
but if you have a podcast, people are open to connecting with you. If you have a podcast mm. versus like, Hey, can I buy you lunch and take you out? It's like, okay, I don't know you. I don't know you. Probably not. Oh, you have a podcast. Okay. Yeah. Let's schedule that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not buying anyone lunch. <laughs> um, when you're, when you're being interviewed then like, or asked questions, like, like do, do you get, does it get uh, tiring answering the same things? Cause obviously like, you know, things can be phrased in a different way or, you know, they can be asked in it like with a different focus or a different lens, but like by and large, people want to know like why, how, and like, how hard is it? So like, do, does it get yeah. exhausting or do you find that like, say you might've had, we'll just say you had a, a hypothetical podcast interview yesterday and that afterwards you might sit down and be like, that was good. Oh, I wish I had said such and such. And then the next interview that kind of fills into that a bit. Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, first of all, I don't get tired of it. Like I really don't like for me, I kind of put myself in the listeners into the listener's shoes. Like this might be someone's first time ever hearing about my story. Mm-hmm. So if I talk about it, like, Oh, it's so boring. Like fit to fit to fit. I gained weight. I laughed like, no, I don't want them to be like, Oh dude, this guy sounds like he hated it. Like this sounds like a stupid idea. <laughs> so for me, it's like always putting myself in other people's shoes to kind of, um, you know, uh, understand where they're coming from. And then, you know, for me, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff. So I don't mind at all. I actually enjoy it. Um, and then, yeah, of course, like, you know, as I'm going through an interview, just like right now, I'm thinking, okay, what should I say here? Uh, you know, what, like, is this the best thing? But, you know, usually after like what everything I say in that moment on that podcast is like, I believe was meant for that podcast. So whoever's mm-hmm. listening to it, I said what I said, I probably wouldn't go back and change anything. Maybe a few small phrases here and there, but I feel like everything, you know, flows out of me in a way where it's kind of meant to be. And so even if I say something that sucks or stupid, maybe for some pe- person, it might make sense and make a difference in their life. But for other people, they're like, oh, that was stupid. So I don't really put too much uh, emphasis on like, okay, was this good or was that bad? You know? Mm. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, w- we get on to your your health and fitness, I suppose. The, the first, okay, there's obviously some like glaring things that we need to talk about but the the first thing that i noticed i read that you ran a hundred miles uh before and hate running so like i just need to (laughs) uh explode that a little bit like why i suppose okay if you don't like running one mile is probably enough if you really don't like running you know like uh, to challenge yourself oh this guy is renowned for hating running and he ran 10 miles would be impressive so like why why a hundred so there's a book that I read called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And I highly recommend it to anyone out there. It's a great story first and foremost. Uh, but his story was so inspiring to me and motivating because I was like, man, we as humans, we live a life of comfort, right? Like we have so many things at our fingertips that are designed for comfort, right? we got refrigerators and freezers and we got soft beds and soft clothes and a nice warm house and like cars and air conditioning and all these things that we have like most people right not everyone but most people have these luxuries where it's like dude you don't ever have to move a muscle entertainment comes to you (laughs) all the food comes to you you know you just have to get up to go to the bathroom every once in a while but even that's super comfortable with like bidets and you know all kinds of stuff so um, i'm like man what are some self-limiting beliefs that i have and i for me like i've never really ran a marathon or half marathon and david goggins you know started doing these hundred mile races and he did his first one with three days preparation he had no idea what he was doing. He almost died, which was not a smart way of doing it. But for me, I'm like, man, how many of us go through life and we think, oh, hundred miles, like that's for those extreme. Like those are like, you know, that's for the, that's impossible for me. I can't do that. Like I can't, I can't just can't. 
And I'm like, man, we tell ourselves all that all the time when it comes to hard, hard things, because we are like, no, I'm going to stay in my comfort zone over here. And so after reading his book, me and my brother, he read his book too. And he's like, Hey man, for my 45th birthday, do you want to train for this for like a couple months and see if we can pull it off? And so uh, actually two years ago, uh, we attempted this just with like, like I said, two months worth of preparation, not really knowing what we were doing. And we got 80 miles. So we, we didn't complete the hundred. We kind of had to stop and like, we just, you know, my body wasn't ready for it, but I was like, man, I just did 80 miles in 24 hours. I had no idea I could even go that far. What if I actually trained for this thing? And so I took a year, not a year, but I, I you know, I, I said next year, I'm going to actually try this and I'm going to take seven months to train for it. I hired some professional coaches that are friends of mine to help, you know, um, design a program for this specifically. And I started training for it. And last year, uh, June of 2020, I, because of the pandemic, I had to do it by myself <laughs> or out here in Utah with like not official race, but, um, I just did it by myself and I had a team, you know, to support me and I freaking pulled it off and I'm super proud. I'm like, man, this was so inspiring to myself because if I can do impossible things in a physical realm, what else can I do that I've been saying, Oh, that's not for me. That's those, that's for those people it carries over into other areas of your life. Mm. So that's kind of the long story, long story, but that was a little bit, I tried to make it shorter for you. Did it take away anything from it? The fact that you had to do it like in the middle of a pandemic on your own, instead of that kind of, you know, crossing the finish line kind of thing. I think maybe some people that are like professionals at this are like, Oh, it's not official. Cause you didn't have an official risk. Like, I don't care. I tracked it. I, I marked the course off. I did two and a half, two and a half miles on this, same path here in Utah, two and a half miles down. Two and oh, half miles fuck. Back. You and just I ran up, up and back, up and back, up and back. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. I know. Five miles is a five mile loop because here's the thing we tried to do it like a hundred miles, like, like a distance in California. And it was a logistical nightmare because we had to have a support vehicle. We had to find places to pull over. You know, you're on the roads, you're on the side of the highway. It just, it, it was just too complicated so i was like look it's gonna be boring as hell it's gonna suck anyways you know 100 miles sucks no matter what did you have anything but, in like in your head like were you listening to anything or were you yeah Cause i was I, just well, thinking if you're running you just be like okay two more steps and there's that little crack in the pavement on the left <laughs> and then one more step oh the leaf is gone <laughs> i had people come and actually run quite like segments with me oh, yeah, okay. so some people run like five mile loops or 10 mile loops with me and that kind of made it beneficial but at nighttime there were some times where i was by myself and i just put some some music or some uh, podcasts or whatever, just to kind of take my mind off the pain slightly. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it sucked, but man, like five miles times 20, 20 rounds of that. <laughs> so, and I did it in 24 hours. So you got to think of it like that, like 20 minute or, or uh, 20 rounds for time, a uh, five mile loop. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had <laughs> one of my friends was on this podcast before he, uh, he ran around his patio for 24 hours um, in lockdown the last time. He had intended on doing like, oh, I think it was a 20, oh crap, I'm going to get this wrong now. 24 miles with 24 kilos. And every time, Whoa. no, 24, 24 marathons in 24 days with 24 kilos. And every time he finished one, he'd drop it. So he'd do 23 the next day, 22, you know what <sighs> I mean? But wow. he, he, because of pandemic, he, he's had to postpone it. But in, in lieu of that last year, he just ran around his patio, which is like, you know, whatever, <laughs> like 10 square meters. He just ran around it for 24 hours. So yeah, similar, similar vibe. Um, he said yeah. though, that there was, there was one loose uh, slab, you know, on the way around. And he, yeah. every time he go over at the start, it was like, boom, boom, 
when he's going over. And then by the end, it was like, you know, that what's that telltale heart? You know, it was just eating away at him every time he hit the bum, it just like at him. Um, yeah. I heard you before, so we'll we go further back than your 100 mm-hmm. miles. I heard you before say that you've never been, uh, pr- prior to starting this, you've never been unfit, that you've like played sport all up through your life and you, you never really had an understanding of what it was like to, I suppose, not be active. What, what were the main sports that you dabbled in? Yeah. So from a very young age, I followed in the footsteps of my older brothers and they played football and they wrestled. And so those were the two toughest sports that you could possibly do from a very young age. So I started with football and Pop Warner out in California, and then eventually got into wrestling in middle school age and uh, you know, excelled at both sports. And once I made it to high school, I kind of like, you know, did pretty good, but yeah, very active, you know, and growing up in a family of 11 kids, we lived in San Diego. We had a, like a Canyon behind our house. Like we were always outside playing, you know, just like kids did in the eighties. You know, nowadays you can't really, it's not the same environment that world we live in, but like, yeah, we would be gone on our bikes and skateboarding and, you know, like we we're all just like, active and so I never really struggled with my weight and then playing sports on top of that can help to contribute to where yeah fitness was a thing for me because I saw my brothers playing football in high school I was like man those guys are huge I was like I want to look like those guys and then growing up with movies like with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan the Barbarian and you know (laughs) like seeing movies like that I'm like man I want to get big like I want to I want to get muscles and so from a very young age I knew that you know being fit being active was going to be a part of my lifestyle. And when did you decide to become a PT? 2009, um, when here in the US, I don't know how it affects you guys in Ireland, but we had a big, big, um, you know, uh, economic downturn in 2008, 2009. So we were struggling and um, I left my job in the auto industry. I was working for Chrysler, the car company, um, had a nice cushy desk job, but then left that. And then be- because of the the economy, I couldn't find a job for like eight or nine months. I was like, all right, what am I going to do for money? I was like, well, my passion is fitness. Why don't I just get certified as a trainer? So I took a certification course, got certified, started taking on clients, you know, part-time just to make some money. And, um, and so that's kind of my story of how I became a trainer. And that's where the genesis of fit to fat to fit that idea entered my mind, because here I was someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, you know, growing up being active, playing sports, than becoming a trainer in my mind, I'm like, dude, it's so easy. You just put down the junk food, you go to the gym and like, how hard is that? <laughs> you know, but my clients would struggle. My clients would be like, Oh, Drew, you know what? I was trying to follow the meal plans, but I went out with some friends and you know, they had some drinks and I decided to have a drink and I started ordering pizza and it's like, Oh, I might as well just take the whole weekend off. And I, I would get so frustrated with them. Like, why do you do that to yourself? Like, it's so simple. Just be disciplined, you know, just do it. <laughs> That's the way my mind thought back then. And then one of my clients told me, Drew, you know, Drew, you don't understand how hard it is for me or for people like me, because for you, it's been easy your whole life because that's all you've ever known. But for me, it's way hard and you just don't understand how hard it is. And so that's when I, I was like, man, you're right. I don't understand. Like, why, how, why is this so hard for you? And so then I was thinking of ideas and then boom, fit to fat to fit entered my mind. Say, it's like, you, you, <laughs> you don't know how hard it is. You've never hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Hold my beard. Uh, but then, dude, I got so humbled, though, from that first experiment, because I put on 75 pounds of fat in six months, and I and I couldn't exercise for six months. And yeah, it was fun for, I would say, two, three weeks of eating junk food. Like, But then I, I was like, okay, now I'm feeling miserable. And now like my six pack is gone. And it was way more mental and emotional than I thought it was going to be. 
And that's where I learned so many valuable lessons and I'm so surprised at how hard it was. So I came out of it actually more empathetic, uh, you know, truly humbled. And, and I was like, wow, like, I feel like I had to apologize to people like, man, I'm so sorry for being so judgmental because I used to think it's so easy. It's kind of similar to you telling a drug addict to stop doing drugs just because like, dude, just stop doing it. Like, it's not that hard because you've never been addicted. <laughs> but me kind of putting myself in someone else's shoes for a minute or two, six months, it was very eye-opening at just how much the, how powerful the emotional connection to food is. And, mm. you know, we struggle with that here in America, like nobody else. It's like, we have so much processed food here. It's so easy. It's cheap. It's convenient. And it tastes freaking good. It's hard to you know, to just, okay, no more eating that food. When, since you were a kid, you've been stuffing ice cream in your face when you were sad or your parents yelled at you or you failed a grade or something like that. Like we, we train our brain with food to distract ourselves from emotional distress or trauma. And so food becomes that, that drug for people, for other people, it's drugs or for other people, it's alcohol or whatever the substance is. And it's really hard to break that cycle in our mind because now our brain's dependent on it. And then we try and willpower away to eating healthy and not eating that food anymore. But guess what? Life doesn't go away. Your emotions are still there. And so you have a hard day at work. You get in a fight with your spouse. Your kids are driving you crazy and you have pizza in the fridge or pizza in the freezer and you warm it up or you go get the chicken breast out and you cut that up and you cut up the broccoli or you just push a button on your phone and you know, Uber Eats or DoorDash shows up at your door and you have the food ready to go, the, the, the unhealthy food. So that's kind of the battle that I became more aware of. And I was like, okay, I was, I apologize. I was wrong, but I learned so many valuable lessons from that first experiment. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause even like, I know <clears throat> my brother went to boarding school when I was like, uh, eight, I'd say. Um, so I was the only one at home then. And I know now, even just listening to you saying that I was like, yeah, you, you use food to fill emotions or whatever. I know I always used food to fill like boredom. So if I had nothing to do, because yeah. I lived out in the country, there was no like no neighbors, no nothing like. So there was no one my age. There was no sports clubs around. So when he left, there was like no one to play with or, no, you know, there was no like get up and go because there was nothing to get up and go to. It was just like, well, just nothing to do. <laughs> so I know even listening to you saying that like really resonates because it's like I know now if I get bored, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll just go and see if there's anything like in the fridge or, you know, I just kind of find myself wandering around the kitchen aimlessly, even if I'm not hungry, just like looking in presses being like, what's here? Yes. here? Um, <laughs> did you expect it to blow up like it did? So like there aren't many PTs sitting down with Jay Leno for a chat. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually had no idea. I had zero skill <laughs> with making something go going viral, especially in 2011. In 2011, social media wasn't what it is today. So I would say back then was way harder to go viral um, versus today. There's so many different platforms nowadays. But, um, you know, back then I had no connections to Jay Leno or Dr. Oz. Um, I had no marketing strategy. It was just me and my wife at the time just doing the best we could, telling our friends about it. And then before you know it, boom, yeah, all these TV shows reached out to me and had me on. And um, so, yeah, I, I did not plan for that, but I was really, really blown away with, okay, wow, this is my, this is my path now because, uh, you know, I was working, I had a full-time job at the time I was personal training and then fit to fit to fit took off. And I'm like, all right, maybe this will become my career out of this. And so, yeah, since 2011 to today, which I'm doing this journey a second time, which we can talk about. Um, yeah, it's been a huge eye opener, but it's it now I'm on a mission to really change the fitness industry 
um, as much as I can, right, with with my platforms and, and my reach to because I feel like there needs to be change. Like it's it's all about body image and how to get skinny and how to get a six pack. If you don't have that, then you're less than or you're less valuable to this world. And people judge you if you don't look a certain way. And I feel like it's time for change because I want this world to be a better place for my kids. You know, and I feel like, um, you know, I, if I could be a part of that change, that positive change, then I could sleep easy at night knowing that I tried my best to make this world a better place for the next generation. Well, um, like, so you've done it once and now you're doing it again. So you've gained like 62 pounds in four months. So we'll talk about <laughs> the why first. Like if you've done it once, yeah, you can now say, if anyone ever says like, oh, you don't know what it's like, you can be like, yeah, 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 do look, look at this, look at this picture from like five years ago or whatever. Like, why did you feel the need to do it again? Yeah, that's a really good question. I even questioned that too, because I, <laughs> I swore I would never do it again because of how hard it was, because a lot of people think it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not that hard, dude. It was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. And why would I ever do it again? Right. So when 2020 happened, as you know, 2020 was a weird, crazy year for the whole world. Um, I saw this opportunity to do this a second time because I feel like in 2011, no one really followed the journey as it was happening. People saw the aftermath. People yeah, saw yeah. me on Jay Leno. They're like, oh yeah, you did that thing back then. But there was no Facebook Live. There's no Insta stories. There was no any of that. Like documenting it back then was like, okay, post about it on Facebook and maybe some people will see it or put it out there on YouTube. And maybe, you know, six months later, a year later, people will find it. <clears throat> But now I have the opportunity to do this again. And I feel like I, you know, I have a whole team in place, you know, that works for me to make this way more impactful, way more educational, way more inspirational. And I feel like if I did it right, my message of, of more empathy, of the need for more empathy in the fitness industry, I feel like would be, would be more, um, would be more powerful this time around versus me, someone who did something 10 years ago saying, Hey guys, we need more empathy. Now it's like people get to see it firsthand. And so I knew that if I, you know, doing it a second time as a 40 year old, it would be way more impactful this time around and, you know, more eyes on it and more people seeing it and more people consuming my content and, and seeing that this is a message of empathy. It's not, uh, you know, so much like making fun of, of people who are overweight or saying, look, it's so easy because I can do it. It's not really like that at all. Um, and so I felt like, hey, when 2020 happened and all the craziness and all the divisiveness in this world, I was like, what, why not do this again, where my message of empathy is needed now more than ever, especially in an industry, which is very judgmental. Like I said, the fitness industry, like I said, I would love to see change and love to see it become more accepting of all different types of bodies instead of just 5% body fat, or you're, you're, you know, you're not included in this category. Um, so, you know, and, and being 40, we all know as you get older, it can be harder. Your metabolism changes, your hormones change. And so I want to help that age group out and say, look, I'm going to do this too, to my body. And, and we can do this journey back to fit together. And that's what makes it so unique is because not only are they working with someone that's a professional, that's a trainer, that's a coach, but that trainer and coach looks like them, <laughs> which never has been done before because everyone looks like an Instagram model. And it's, it's just not relatable. I think to your average person, because they're like, yeah, that looks cool, but I'm, there's no way I'm going to look like that. But I, people want to feel understood. And mm. so that's what I've learned from this journey is they want to feel understood. And I feel like if, if, if I can understand them better and they can better understand me, this journey back to fit will be more impactful and more inspirational for them. Because like I said, it's not someone leading from the front. It's someone leading from the back where they are. 
Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, no, I like that. Um, for the how then, like, okay, mm-hmm. if you'd, I, I assume you had a number in your mind of what you want, like a rough idea of where <laughs> you wanted to end up. So do you, is it a case of just not moving, like moving as little as possible, I guess, and then eating whatever you want, whenever you want? Or do you have to aim for like, all right, I'll need, you know, an extra, you know, 500 calories a day for this many days in order to get to this weight or like how like do you use an equation to work it out or do you just say fuck it i'll eat whatever i want and see what happens <laughs> i said fuck it let's eat whatever i want no i didn't have a strategy specifically of like x amount of calories and macros per day i just knew like my baseline like i eat around 3000 to 3500 calories a day like that's a lot for most people just because you know have a little bit more muscle mass i like to work out like doing crossfit style workouts so for me, I was like, all right, I know I'm going to have to like nearly double that to put on the amount of weight. Like the goal was 60 pounds in four months, to be honest with you. I, I did 62 in four months, um, but it wasn't like it was calculated. I just didn't, you know, for me, it was like I would eat until I was full and then I would stop eating and take a break for a couple hours and then I'd be starving again and be like, all right, well, I got to eat more. So I just would eat throughout the day. And the processed foods here in America are designed to do that. Where did you specifically so do that? Like, did you specifically aim for like fast food and you know, like that that kind of pre-prepared, like you know, I guess mm. like chips and chocolate and that kind of stuff, or were you still trying to eat like a semi-normal breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I mostly focused on processed food, like all the cheap, easy, convenient stuff we have, like cereal and chips, cookies, crackers and sodas and uh, ice cream and cakes and cookies and those kinds of things that we have. Um, but then the occasional fast food. But I did do an experiment uh, on month two of gaining weight where I actually did certain diets. I did keto, paleo, vegan and vegetarian because a lot of people assume that if you are doing one of those four diets, you're guaranteed to lose weight, right? If I'm keto, I'm going to lose weight. But the problem with those diets is now the market has caught up to those diets so that there's, you know, a huge amount of like convenience products that fit into those categories. So like as a vegan, you could eat Oreos all day long and still be vegan, (laughs) which you know what I'm saying? Like, so like, just because you fit into these categories doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lose weight. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to become healthier. So I actually gained weight with those diets, but in an unhealthy manner. So I did those uh, as an experiment for one week at a time to show people like, look, if you're going to do these diets, here's what not to do. Like, yeah, don't yeah. do it this way. Don't do it the way that I'm doing it. And actually what's funny is uh, starting this month, I'm going to revisit those diets Next week, I'll be doing paleo, but a clean version of it. Same thing with vegan and vegetarian to show people like, look, if you're going to do these diets, here's, here's the best way possible. Here's the healthiest way to do them. What was your food like? Let's say if you started this on a Monday, what was your food like on the previous Friday, like for your day? So you, you say you eat like 3000 oh. to 3500, like what kind of food were you eating? Oh, you want to compare like healthy to what mm. I normally what I ate on the weight gain journey, right? Yeah, yeah. So normally I fast until noon. I'll have some type of like coffee with, I'll do some MCT oil powder in my coffee, some type of fat coffee. So every once in a while, I'll put some collagen in there. And then I take exogenous ketones before I work out. And, and then I'll go work out and then I'll fast until noon. And then at noon, I'll have my first meal of the day. And that's usually something like, you know, a bunch of eggs, like five eggs, some type of meat, like sausage or bacon, uh, lots of vegetables, like you know, spinach or broccoli or cauliflower, mix that up into like an omelet. Um, and then I would fast until dinner time. And then around five or six o'clock have another big dinner. And that's usually some type of like maybe some grass fed burgers or steak or salmon. 
with another side of veggies sauteed in like butter or coconut oil with some lots of salt on that. Um, and that's kind of like a typical day, right? That's, that is, that, like, is that your food now or is that your food pre bulk or are they the same? Pre, 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 pre bulk. Um, now it's a little bit different because I'm slowly getting back into intermittent fasting. So this month I'm doing three meals a day. Next month I'll start incorporating intermittent fasting. Uh, so two meals a day. Um, and that's just, just the strategy that I've in, incorporated to help me mm. lose 60 pounds in four months. It's very strategic. So the journey of losing weight is strategic where I do have to plan out yeah, how yeah. many calories, what are my macros? Was there um, an adjustment period? So when you say, when you stop, say <laughs> when you start eating shit, was there yeah. an adjustment period where like, you know, like, were you sick? Were you like, you know, getting, you know, obviously long-term there's effects, but like, I imagine if you consistently eat like grass fed meats and organic veg and stuff and then you immediately start adding in like high fructose corn syrup and loads of salt and loads like all that kind of shit like like were yeah. you constipated were you the opposite were you sick were you like like how did it, was there an adjustment period did you have to wean yourself onto shit food or like <laughs> did you just give up good food cold turkey and like have to break through a wall it was cold turkey. Like I had so much like junk food in, in the house after that point. Cause it was like, you're like a kid in a candy store. Like when you go to the grocery store, especially here in America, there's like a hundreds of flavors of cereals and sodas and like chips and cookies and crackers. And like, we have so much variety and a, an abundance of that. It's like, dude, just fill my cart with all this. So I, I went from like zero to hundred with unhealthy food. And yeah, there was digestive issues. I would say it was not definitely not constipated. It was the opposite of that. <laughs> my digestion was not my my stomach was not happy with me. I couldn't think of a I couldn't months. think of a better way of asking that question than going with constipated or the opposite. I figured if I asked yeah. it either way, it'd be too graphic. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to say stools or like you know like <laughs> like that. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so for me, it was uh, definitely digestive issues. Also, the thing that I noticed really quickly was how tired I would get because I went from like. 50 grams of carbs a day to like a thousand and eating that many carbohydrates is just a shock to the body because your blood sugar is spiking and crashing, spiking and crashing all day long. And dude, I was so exhausted by like the time, like I would have to take a nap almost every single day. And then my sleep was went to shit because my sleep was not what it was. And so this is what I wanted to make people aware of is like, when you eat this junk food, it doesn't just make you gain fat. Like, sure. Like, you know, yeah, your waist, your, your waist, grows and your butt grows and your love panels grow but dude it affects you way more than you think it's affecting your sleep which if, if your sleep is affected you're not sleeping efficiently your hormones are off your your mood is not the same your personality totally changes and so this is what i'm trying to make people aware of is like it doesn't just make you gain fat it affects you emotionally and mentally which carries over into you as a dad as a mom as a spouse as an employee as a business owner whatever it is like you're not the same version of you you're not the best version of you when your physical health goes to shit and that's what i'm trying to make people aware of is like all this physical stuff that you're doing like not exercising and eating junk food it carries over into all areas of your life and and if you want to have good sex and good sleep and good relationships like your physical health needs to be taken care of and that i show people exactly what can happen <laughs> actually went through a breakup as well during this journey with my girlfriend which was not fun which was not easy i wouldn't say it's because of this journey but it definitely played a factor in my ability to handle stress like i was definitely more reactive more snappy or less patient because i'm not sleeping through the night and like when you're sleep deprived 
dude, good luck trying to be patient with, you know, a, a, a nine-year-old or trying to be patient with something that's like driving you crazy. And I think that's the problem with the, our society these days is the fact that people don't take care of their physical health and they wonder why they're not happy or they're not, you know, they're not fulfilled and their relationships aren't what they want them to be. It carries over into other areas of your life is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I suppose at least it's sad that you went through a breakup, but at least you were able to do that classic movie post breakup thing of like eating Ben and Jerry's and sitting on the couch because you're just surrounded by all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so true. Cause before I was eating it to, to gain weight, yeah. but going through a breakup, I was legit eating it to make me happy. Cause I was yeah. sad, dude. I was broken hearted. Like I was depressed yeah. and I'll be honest with you. Ice cream makes you feel better. I'm sorry, but broccoli just doesn't do it. Like you could, you know what I'm saying? Like there's moments in your life where whether it's food or alcohol or certain things like that, they give you that little dopamine hit, but the problem, I'm not condoning that behavior, but I'm just saying, I get why people yeah. do that. You how, know? how it becomes a crutch. Like, yeah. Um, so your aim now then is to lose the weight that you gained. Um, yeah. And you're doing that. Like you, you said, you're going to dabble in other things, but it's predominantly through like using a keto diet. Is that fair to say? Yeah. For the most part, it's a version of like right now it's strict keto. Um, so explain, then- explain, uh, ketosis to me as well as like i'm a seven-year-old okay cool so okay so here's the thing uh our bodies can go off run off of two different types of fuel right we have two different fuel sources just like cars sometimes you know you have regular gas and you get diesel fuel um our bodies are similar we could run off of two different fuel sources one is glucose which is carbohydrates all carbohydrates get turned into glucose in the body glucose is a sugar and then we use that energy source for to move to for our muscles or brains organs to function right but what happens when we run out of food what like do we die in a day or two no because your body can only store up to x amount of glucose and that's probably like three thousand calories even if you ate like two whole pizzas your body can only store so much glucose and then two thousand three thousand calories you know that's like you can burn that off you know in a day or two or maybe even less depending on how active you are. But then it's like, all right, what do we do when we run out of that fuel source? Our bodies have this amazing ability to create its own fuel from our stored fat. So the second fuel source is ketones. So what happens when you have a lot of body fat, your body breaks down those fatty acids in the body, converts them through the liver into these things called ketones, and then ketones replace glucose for fuel. So your brain, muscles, and organs can still function. So if every human stopped eating today, Within three, four, five days later, pretty much every single human would be in a state of ketosis. This is how our species evolved over the years because our species didn't have McDonald's or fast food places or restaurants or grocery stores to go pick up food. We had to hunt for food. And sometimes we had to go days, weeks, maybe even months for some people without food. The Guinness Book of World, of World Records for a number of consecutive days fasting is 382 days, I believe. And you can Google that <laughs> Yeah, by a 460 pound man in the 1960s, who was monitored by a doctor. Obviously he had water and vitamins and minerals, but no food. And he survived off of his own body fat as energy. So that our doctor bodies... has definitely been stripped <laughs> off his credentials. <laughs> Obviously no one would be able to do a study like that nowadays, but dude, it's, it's published in medical literature. And, um, it's just, it just goes to show like how amazing the human body is. Like we can go a long period of time because of something called ketosis, where we can use our body fat as a backup energy source. And so there's two ways to get into ketosis. One is to starve yourself, which isn't fun, but it can happen that way. Just stop eating 
and you'll be in ketosis. Or you mimic that by eating a keto diet, which is high fat, moderate amount of protein, and very, very low carb. And what happens when you don't give your body glucose, carbohydrates, your body's forced to find this alternative fuel source. Like, hey, where's our glucose? Okay, we don't have enough. Okay, time to switch over to ketones. And our bodies were just designed to do that. And so eating keto kind of mimics what happens in the body when we fast because you're not giving your body glucose. You're giving it calories from fat mostly. And then our body uses that fat, you know, burns it in the body. And that's how we have energy. So that does that make sense? Yeah. So explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was seven-year-old. Okay. Five-year-old. That's, uh, that's, that's a little Michael Scott humor for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you, uh, I assume you have to wean yourself Oh, you, you, I know you say you went cold turkey when you're into your, we'll, we'll call it your bulk, I suppose. But when you're coming off that, then do you have to wean yourself gradually off carbs? Because surely your body just went to shock if you went from eating a thousand grams of carbs to just nothing. So there is a transitionary period, but there's a little tips, tricks and hacks that I know of because I, you know, I have my own book mm. about the keto diet, I've done all these, uh, you know, done a lot of research on, on how to, to understand what happens in the body. So yes, for a lot of people, if you've been eating carbs most of your life 30 40 years and then all of a sudden you go into a state of ketosis you cut out carbs yes it can be a shock to your body's system for the first you know week or so and so the the key to avoid something called the keto flu so this is what happens people start you know they do keto they cut out the carbs they feel the keto flu headaches brain fog uh, lethargy lack of energy because uh, your body's not efficient yet at using ketones because you've always been eating carbs but for me, I did it cold turkey because, uh, you know, I'm on the, I'm, I'm on the clock. I got to lose 60 pounds in four months. So I, I went into straight into ketosis, but there's little tips and tricks that you can use to uh, make it so that the keto flu isn't as intense, but it's things like salt. Salt is way, is super important. So you need about eight grams or two teaspoons of salt per day, roughly um, when you, when you go into a state of ketosis, because your body gets rid of a lot of water when you cut out carbs. When you eat carbs, your body retains water. So your body, you're peeing like crazy in the beginning and people lose a lot of water weight, which is awesome, but you're also losing a lot of uh, minerals, right? And yeah, so sodium is one of those. So replenishing sodium on a daily basis, like taking salt shots or salt pills, like throughout the day, loss of water. Also magnesium and potassium are really important as well. If you're supplementing with those things, um, it will definitely alleviate the keto flu. So I did go cold turkey. And for me, my body, I think remembers, mm. you know, four, four months ago, what it's like to be in ketosis. But for some people it can be rough. Like they definitely experienced the keto flu. I'm like, look, just give it two weeks, make sure stay on top of salt, uh, lots of water, potassium, magnesium as well. And I promise you it'll get better. And it always does. Uh, so like in order to gain the weight, you overate your calories compared to what you were expending. And then in order to lose it now, you're using more you're expending more than you're taking in basically. So yeah. like, do you think you could lower the calorie, lower your calories without using ketosis or is the, is the keto aspect, like, is it a speed thing or is it the fact that you think it's the best possible way to do it? I don't think it's the best possible way to do it. When it comes to pure weight loss, calorie deficit is the key. It doesn't matter if you're keto, vegan, vegetarian, it doesn't matter. I will say this about keto though. I think most people enjoy the food on keto versus like, you know, a, a different approach because you're eating things like steak, bacon, eggs, cheese, salt, butter, a lot of foods that, you know, you're not cutting out the fat. When you cut out mm. the fat, food doesn't taste as, as good. Like, let's just be honest. 
but you're missing out on the carbohydrates. So it's a give and take, whatever helps you achieve a calorie deficit, you know, it, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I will say this weight loss and health don't always equal the same thing because I could be eating a thousand calories of donuts and soda and still lose weight. But am I going to feel better or feel healthier? Probably not. I could lose the weight, but my health probably will take a hit. So that, that's why when I do keto, it, my approach is a whole foods approach. So real whole food, you know, uh, meats, uh, seafood, eggs, nuts and seeds, maybe some berries occasionally, uh, lots of vegetables, you know, um, uh, non-starchy vegetables, things like that. And those are real whole foods. But if you start snacking on keto desserts, keto ice cream, don't keto donuts, like <laughs> sticks of butter, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's not always, there's a, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's healthy ways and there's unhealthy ways to do it. Um, and I show people both. I show people what not to do when you're going to do a dirty version of keto. And now I'm showing people, look, here's the best way to do keto. But honestly, I tell people, look, as long as you're sticking with whole foods, I don't care if you do vegan or vegetarian or paleo or keto, like it doesn't matter. Stay in a caloric deficit and whatever way you can achieve that, whether it's intermittent fasting or whether it's plant-based, you know, that like, like, I don't care. But for me, I like my way. I like the way my brain feels on keto because the mental clarity that I feel when I'm in a state of ketosis is like the coolest thing in the world. And I don't think, I think a lot of people have never experienced that because they think keto is just a diet to lose weight, but your brain function, the mental clarity, the cognitive function, the way it improves when you're in a state of ketosis. I love that feeling because you're not hungry. You're not starving all day long because you're not getting these spikes in blood sugar levels, but your insulin stays pretty consistent throughout the day. It's pretty flat because uh, you're eating high fat, high protein. And so that's what I love about keto but it's not like the best way to do it. It's the it, best way for me. Do you worry that like uh, the keto diet like vilifies carbohydrates a bit? Because obviously in the past we've had, you know, in the 80s or late 80s, early 90s, it was like, you know, fat is the devil. Like it's going to, you know, if you yeah. eat fat, you're fucked. Then like towards yeah. the noughties, it was like oh, low carb all the way, like go paleo, don't touch carbs, they're really bad for you. Like eat loads of fat and don't eat any carbs. So like, do you yeah. worry that yeah. the... The, the keto diet kind of like even if you're i know understand what you're saying but i know there's other people out there who kind of promote it in a you know don't eat carbs kind of way yeah do you worry I think any diet oh go ahead go ahead i think i know what you're asking i think any diet that restricts a certain food group there you will have these zealots that come out mm. and make it a religion they become dogmatic about it where they're like carbs are bad it's they, like those are the devil and they look at food as good or bad. Same thing with plant-based, like, oh, all meat is bad. And people that, people that eat meat is bad too. And then you start to dehumanize other people because they're eating white bread and you're like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? Like it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we take it, we take diet to almost to the place of where religion would be and be like, okay, you guys are the bad guys. We're the good guys. We have the truth over here. It's like, just like there's so many religions that work for different people there's different diets that work better for different people. And so, yes, anytime there's a diet that restricts a certain food group, you're going to have dogmatic people come out of the woodworks and say, Hey, this is where we have the truth. You guys are false. And then there's wars that happen on social media between, you know, these people and those people I just, I don't get involved with that because that's not my message, but it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. And that's what I say. Like at the end of the day, if you don't want to get involved with that, find what works best for you and, and, and stick with that. Like, I'm not here to tell you like, Hey, you have to do keto. Otherwise you're, you're missing out. Um, but it, it's important to be educated, do your own research 
And I look at all of these diets as tools in our tool belt. So we have a tool belt with all these different tools. We can use different tools at different times and see, hey, for right now, I'm going to do keto and that is working for me. But maybe six months or a year from now, I'm going to be tired of that. Or maybe my body's not responding as well. Maybe I need to switch it up and do a different approach. And what other tools do I have available to me? If you only have one tool in your tool belt, good luck. You know what I'm saying? So that's the way I look at it. Yeah. What have your cravings been like? Because obviously, like, it takes next to nothing to knock you out of ketosis so that's that you know like if you must be hard to walk past like a bottle of orange juice or whatever and just not like <laughs> yeah i experienced this on my first journey too like that the, the cravings were intense man because uh, you know for uh, for example there's a cereal here in the u.s called cinnamon toast crunch so good i don't know if you guys have that out there but if you don't that's a good thing because <laughs> it's addictive <laughs> and um that was my jam for six months. I would have it like almost every single day because it's so good. And then when I just went cold turkey, dude, the cravings are intense. Like your body is like uh, going through withdrawal symptoms. It's similar to getting off of a drug where you're like, all right, now I got to detox. But your body goes through these with strong withdrawal symptoms, almost pushing you back to go towards that drug, that food that you've had for so long because it likes the way it's, it's conditioned now. It likes the way it feels on that. It likes the high that it gets. And so they're intense for sure. I would say they last, they're intense for about two to three weeks and then they slowly become more manageable. So as you stay more consistent, they're more manageable. Do they ever go away? No, because every time I see a commercial for fries, French fries or pizza and I'm hungry and I'm eating my chicken and broccoli, I'm like, yeah, this sucks. I would love to have that. But you got to understand why are you doing this? What's the greater good? Realize that you can order pizza whenever you want to. Like, I'm an adult, you're an adult, like you can literally go to a store and get pizza whenever you want to. It's not like, okay, this is the only time I can have this. And so shifting your perception of your situation is really important when it comes to cravings, when it comes to food addiction, learning how to see things through a new lens will help you to realize that, hey, I can have this stuff whenever I want to, you know? And and yes, sometimes I will, but other times I'm not, because I know if I have it every night, it's not gonna be good for me. But if I'm like, okay, maybe after two or three months, I'm doing really good. I'm seeing some progress. I'm going to get some pizza, but maybe I'm not going to stuff my face. Maybe I'll just control the amount that I eat of that pizza and say, okay, this was good. I really enjoy it. Now I'm going to savor it so that the next time I have it in a few months, it's a special occasion instead of like every night, beer, pizza, wings, <laughs> you know, like you're going to get sick of it. Like Christmas morning, if it's Christmas is every day, it's not the, doesn't, it's not the same. So anyways, that's just my two cents on that with your training then like what are you what are you doing now and like how does it differ to what you were doing say before uh you started gaining weight this time um versus like the first time i did like my training say like before or my training before oh before i started the journey yeah um that's a really good question so before I started this journey, my training was really intense because I was in really good shape. So my workouts had to be a lot harder. Um, obviously for me, I'm all about working out smarter, not, not necessarily longer or harder. Um, and so my workouts were usually between, you know, 30 to 45 minutes on average, uh, but more intense now that I'm overweight and trying to lose the weight, it's a progression. So the very first week was just walking and stretching, <laughs> like nothing intense, just walking was really hard. And then slowly we progressed to body weight exercises. So, you know, just push ups, burpees, sit ups, uh, things like that. You can just move your with your body. And then eventually we've slowly graduated into weights. So adding in a little bit of heavier weight training, not super heavy yet, because I'm really careful with my followers focusing on form 
and um, you know, doing the proper lifts the proper way so there's no injuries. But a big focus on core and stretching and recovery is really important. And that's what I preach a lot. And so, um, so yeah, and then eventually the workouts will get gradually harder as the journey goes on because your body adapts really quickly to new workouts, to new environments. And so for me, that's kind of my strategy for the journey back to fit. And do you use carbs around your training to fuel it? Because obviously like carbs, you know, to be useful for that high intensity kind of stuff as you start to go into that will you start to kind of manipulate when and how you take your 50 grabs a day yeah so that's a good question so the first month is a is a uh, adaptation phase so your body's getting adapted to using ketones so the carbs are very low they're around 30 grams per day right now 30 grams per day for the first month and then um month three because i'm doing the different diets month two uh, I'm not really focusing on keto a whole lot on month two, but month three, we're going back to keto with some intermittent fasting, but it's a cyclical keto diet. And I talk about that in my book, complete keto cyclical keto means you're cycling in and out of ketosis. So I'll do keto strict for five days, possibly uh, around five days, and then two days of a high carb, low fat day. So then your body's cycling out of ketosis, right? Using carbs to fuel you. Um, and, and then we'll do that for about a month, month four, is more of like the targeted keto diet approach, which I also talk about. And that's what you're asking is basically I add in carbs strategically because your body, when you're keto adapted, carbs are like jet fuel. Like, it's just like, it's like taking a pre-workout for the first time. Your body is so adapted to ketones, but it still remembers how to use glucose. So you, anytime you add in glucose, you like for a CrossFit workout or something like that, it's perfect because you're adding in like 20 grams of carbs pre-workout. You get a nice little pump. You get a nice little boost in performance. And it's, it's more for athletes or to boost your performance during your workouts. And so that'll come in month four. So there's different mm-hmm. stages. And then I think like sometimes people, you know, like myself included might look in the mirror and like, not like the reflection that's looking back, or they mm-hmm. might look at the scales and get like pissed off or, you know, how clothes are fitting. Like you can kind of slip into a few extra bits here and there and then you're putting on a t-shirt and you're like fuck this wasn't this tight the last time or whatever and I know even like you talked about that kind of uh you know when it becomes part of who you are like unintentionally or whatever I know even like I sent my measurements to my coach at the weekend and I in hindsight it sounds laughable but I had I typed the message I actually think this is just who I am. Like, I think it's just this, this is where I'm just supposed to be. And like, when he rang me back and was like, you know, nobody's, there's no like predestiny to say like, you are this way and you always will be. And like, you know, hearing it back, I was like, yeah, that was a really fucking stupid thing to say. But like when you're at a low ebb like that, where you've done something for a week or two weeks or whatever, and then you look and you're like, well, it's just the same. Like, what's the problem? Like, was it difficult as someone whose image I suppose is important for a few different, like it's important for work. It's important for, you know, obviously you you don't want to put yourself as like on an, on an unattainable pinnacle for your clients that they're looking up going like, well, fuck, I'm never going to look like him. Like, but it kind of sort of maybe unintentionally becomes entangled with who you are. Is it difficult to separate your identity from how you look saying now? Like when you look at yourself uh, compared to like four months ago, when you look at yourself? Yeah, that's a really good question. I learned the separating my identity when I was going through my first fit to fit to fit journey, that first journey really forced me to see myself through a new lens. Cause my identity was drew the fit guy. Like in my mind, I was always the fit guy. So I was drew the fit guy. And then my first time becoming fat, I was like, I freaked out. Like, I'll be totally honest with you. I was super uncomfortable, super self-conscious. I wanted to go 
out in public and explain to strangers like, hey, guys, I'm not, I'm not really overweight. This is <laughs> this is just an experiment. Like, here's my before picture because I felt so uncomfortable because my identity was my body. And so this is where I've learned over the years of doing a lot of uh, self-help and personal development work, working with life coaches and therapists. My body image is not my self-image. And so seeing your body as almost like a separate part of you, not you, not not it's not doesn't define you, but it's a part of you helps people separate that to realize that they are not their bodies. The problem to learn how to do that is really hard and takes time. So for me, going into the second journey, I was not nearly as self-conscious. Like I had my shirt off when I was in Hawaii, had the dad bod, like I didn't care. I really didn't because I know that my body is temporary and that our bodies are miraculous. They can do these amazing things and they can change, we can change them and things like that. But the problem that I see with like my followers is like they see me like with a stick, like right now people are, uh, a few people are like, dude, you already have your abs coming back. Like that's crazy. I'm like, look, this is where if we get into the comparison game, like you versus me, like I've only been overweight for four months. I have muscle memory. My body like rebounds pretty quickly. My body's homeostasis is a lot lower, I guess. Yeah, my homeostasis is, is low body fat percentage and pretty lean. So my body wants to get back to that. For other people that have been 50 pounds overweight for 10 years, their journey is going to be a lot slower and harder because I'm doing in four months what probably might take some people years to accomplish if they stay consistent with it. But the problem is that they give up or get disheartened sometimes when they see people like me. But if people start consuming my content, they start listening to my messaging, they start to realize that, uh, you know, I'm not telling people that you are defined by your body and that you are only praised if you get X results from doing this journey with me, I try and help people become fulfilled with who they are now and learn to accept themselves and love themselves, even though they're not perfect, but while they continue to work on a better version of themselves, it's possible to do those two things where you accept who you are and you still love who you are, but you still want to push yourself and push those limits and, and see what you can accomplish in this life. So you don't give up on yourself. And so those are the, the things that I try and help people realize and it's going to take some time for them to realize that their body image is not their self-image and this is what happens when people stop focusing on the results and they learn to fall in love with the process which is eating healthy and dieting and exercise and when they can fall in love with that process and be consistent in that instead of looking at looking at it as a punishment or a chore but like they actually enjoy doing that process the results end up take and end up taking care of themselves over time as a byproduct of Mm -hmm. of living that lifestyle over time and time again, the problem is people want those results so bad that they punish themselves with the process saying, okay, I'll put up with this process, even though it sucks for a period of time, if I get those results, but if I don't get those results and I don't see results within two, three months, then why am I, you know, wasting my life eating healthy food and meal prepping if I'm not going to see these results. And so then they quit. Mm. And so this is where the shift in perception of like doing the process because you're worth it to live a healthy lifestyle and you're worth it to keep fighting, do that not as a chore or punishment, because, but because you get to, and you have this amazing body you've been blessed with. Like if you could focus on that and just forget the results for a little bit, then you realize six months later, a year later, two years later, you've been living that process and the results take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I try and tell people that uh, get so fixated and focused on the scale, not going down. They're like, oh my gosh, my weight went up today. Like I'm a failure. I'm going to have ice cream and cake because I failed at this. And so they self-sabotage. And so this is what happens time and time again. And it's hard to break that cycle, but it's possible. So, yeah. Um, well, listen, we'll finish with a quick fire. Yeah, that'd be um, great. I, 
Yeah. So they're all they're all either or. Um, so okay. run or row. Row. <laughs> you, you should probably know that from my hundred miler. <laughs> uh, bench or squat. Oh shoot! I would say I I enjoy bench more, but I do squat because I know it's better for me. <laughs> uh, favorite sport to watch. Uh, American football because that's what I grew up doing. Uh, dumbbell or barbell? Shoot, dumbbell. It's more more flexibility, a lot more you can do with a, bar, a dumbbell versus a barbell. Uh, favorite sport to play? Man, I'm so old now. I can't. <laughs> uh, shoot. Um, probably. Does CrossFit count? Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. that a sport? Okay, it can CrossFit. be. It can be. If you're good enough, it can be. Um, <laughs> okay, CrossFit. What, what food do you dream of when you're uh, when you're on your to fit phase? Uh, I would say pizza. And then here in the U.S., there's a cookie company called Crumble Cookie. These huge, they're like the best cookies. So if you ever come to the U.S., Peter, you gotta try, you gotta try it out one time. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, and then cold brew or americano. A cold brew all day yeah um well listen drew thanks a million for coming on uh, i really appreciate it i think uh you're yeah it's a, it's a remarkable feat to undertake twice and i think the added <laughs> element of as you head towards 40 really i think it'll hopefully it'll inspire people that are heading the same way to think like oh, it's not too late like i can't actually change something because i know i've been doing the I didn't do the fit to fat part. I've just, I'm, I'm doing the fat to fit, but it's taken me 30 years. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing all the right things though, man. So keep yeah. it up, Peter, but thanks for having me on, man. It's been a pleasure and uh, take care of yourself over there. Okay. Well, look, we'll, uh, we'll get going. I'd love to. Um, so look, thanks a million for doing this. Um, first of all, um, I was doing a bit of research on you. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know I'm a professional. Um, You're a professional, brother. Uh, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not. Wasn't kidding when I said I've been listening to your podcast. And there's a, I mean, I'm sure as we get going, you have a good way of letting people talk in terms of like they, you let them find their explanation through the questions you ask, and maybe it's just you just going back and forth naturally. But I don't know. It sounds good to me. Um. But yeah, um, uh, you, you're, you've lived in Boston your whole life. Is that right? Yes, I'm Boston born and raised. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know your coffee's podcast. So that's why any Boston, real Bostonian drinks Dunkin' Donuts um, literally all the time. Yeah. So yes, I'm Boston born and raised. I work in a gym in Boston currently. Um, so I do love the city. Um, for what it's worth, people from the city, actually, the famous Boston accent. Yeah. If you're from Boston... You actually don't have the accent. Okay, so but like Boston accent, like the town, like Ben Affleck in the town, that kind of Boston, like that. Uh, or Mark Mark uh, Mark Wahlberg is a proponent of that accent as well, isn't he? Yeah, there are. I mean, the further I think it's a little bit more. The suburbs have the accents. I know yeah. it's the suburbs have the accent, but if you're like I am, for lack of a better term, literally from inner city Boston, and all my friends talk like I do. Long okay. story short, pronounce our R's. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> pronounce your oars and you don't add in extra vowels. No, don't add in extra vowels at all. Yeah. No. Um so would you are, are you kind of a, a fan of using say your Dunkin Donuts coffee then for like fueling your days or is it like is it an enjoyment thing or is it like a necessity thing for you to have it? I think it's just a routine thing. Right? Like even this morning 
and let's be real, speaking of podcasts and things of that nature, it's not something you do every day, right? But yeah. uh, every day I do get, wake up early, go to the gym, train, train people or coach classes. So it's like, I go, I go get my coffee, go start my day, sets me, gets caffeine in the system, right? Just gets me going. I think it's more routine than anything. Yeah, I think ritual is a, it's a big draw of it, like, um, suppose there tends to be as if you're making coffee especially there tends to be more of a ritual than just like putting a tea bag into a cup and taking it out again like it tends to require a bit more i don't know escapism or something because you're just watching it happen and involved in the process or something but maybe i'm just a bit of a dick about it (laughs) (laughs) have you uh have you any coffee memories then anything that like i suppose if you if it's something that's belonging to every day that you have every day there's surely something where you know, back in your early days where getting a coffee, because I like I was looking you up and it's like you've like Boston has a history of sport, like of mm-hmm. diff- loads of different sports, like, you know, there's baseball, basketball, like it, f- football, everything is there. And then even on a smaller scale with CrossFit, you've got like, you know, Ben's been there for years and you've got like Reebok open their gym. And th- now that's Invictus. Like, and there's all these, like, it just, just seems to have a real draw for sport. Is it like, is there something about Boston? Do you think that creates that magnetism or do you think it's like that, you know, success breeds success thing. And if someone sees a baseball team doing well, they'll set something else up. You know, I wish I had some worldly answer for you. I have no idea. It's fascinating that Reebok headquarters is here. Like, I, I tell people this, some people know this. I started at Ben, I was Ben Bergeron's coworker. Hmm. So I met Ben Bergeron before he was crossed from England. We worked together at a gym and people can look it up, look this up if they want. So I met the guy and he was talking about this CrossFit thing. And he's like, I'm gonna open up a gym, you should come by. And I was like, okay. And I remember meeting people that were just supremely ripped. Like I have a story about, uh, I was learning how to do a bar muscle up across from New England. And a woman with a French accent told me all I had to do was get my elbows up. And I did my first bar muscle up. And I remember saying to my friend, like, who's that? And they're like, that's Camille. (laughs) For some reason, I don't know what it is. Um, I've been, that's a long way of saying I've been lucky being in Boston because even, let's forget any other sport, CrossFit alone, there's been gods of the sport that are in Boston. Yeah. Talk about Ben Bergeron, talk about catching trains and data. Heck, my own gym, I can list off, and this isn't name dropping, I can list off what Steph Chung, Lindy Barber, Kelsey Keel, Tola, they've all come through Boston. So it's a long way of saying I have no idea why Boston's a spot. <laughs> None. It's yeah. just. But by the sounds of it as well, it's going to, that, that kind of reputation is going to increase now, especially if Ben Ben seems to be setting up like his own like kind of center of excellence like so there's you know there seems to be more athletes heading towards boston either for him or for invictus and it seems to be i don't know like it's bizarre it's because like it's it's like the new cookville where like three or four years ago everyone seemed to be moving to cookville and now everyone seems to be moving to boston so it's going to be like an exciting place part of the world to be living in i guess with especially if you're involved in the industry it's outstanding well here's the deal right so Ben's place, and I love Ben. Ben's place is actually about, I would say, 30 miles outside the city. Mm. So he has the advantage of, you know, having, he literally has farmland behind him, right? So he has this big cross from England and he has farmland behind him where they, God knows what they do. They just train all day, right? And, and stretch and it's awesome. We have the advantage where we're in the middle of the city. So when you, when you land at Logan, 
you Google CrossFit gyms, we're point three miles away. So even people that are traveling usually drop into our box. Hmm. So it's a unique experience. Yeah. Um, you've been on a lot of podcasts. Uh, you did like Make Pods Great Again recently enough and you did uh, Bryce's Invictus podcast as well. That was uh, pretty recent. Like is it is like sharing and socializing and something, is that like something that you're drawn to or is that something that you maybe feel like you have, I don't know, maybe a responsibility to do? Like is it a selfish endeavor or a selfless <laughs> endeavor? Um, I think it's, um, I, I mean, I guess we'll get to the nitty gritty, right? It's kind of, uh, everything happening at the same time, right? Um, I've been in the CrossFit industry since 2009 when there was, uh, not sanctionals. I forget what they called them. Oh, sectionals. They, sectionals. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. So I competed in the sectionals in 2009 in Albany, New York. So I've been in the industry for <laughs> longer than I want to say, but about 12 years, right? So... <laughs> I joke around. That means I've been doing CrossFit since I was nine. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but on a serious note, uh, and it's, it's morbid to say, I was in a grocery store when Josh Boston, in Boston called me and said that, you know, we need to talk because Greg Glassman said something very racist, right? And, and this isn't, this is just, it's not trying to be funny or slight. I said to him, I said, hey, Josh, you know, an old rich white guy saying something racist is every day in my life. And he, you know, he talked to me and he said, you know, we, we should do something or, you know, I want you to think on this. And so um, the reason, and I'll get to why I'm on so many podcasts, um, this would happen in June. So I yeah. thought, and in 32 days, we put together something called the Invictus Boston Invitation, where it was a competition and all that mattered was that you had to know that racism existed and Black Lives Matter, and we were gonna do something about it. Unbeknownst to me, and luckily for me, the competition was a huge success. So much so that my email and my, I would say my DMs haven't stopped blowing up since. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do it again this year, hence why I've been on so many podcasts, if that helps shed the light a little bit yeah yeah so i guess it's like uh not self-promotion self-promotion is the wrong word but you know like you're promoting your event and then like the like spreading the message of it as well i guess like um do you listen to podcasts as well i love podcasts and what are your love what are your go-to um my go-to right now is i'm always a bill simmons guy uh bill simmons pat mcafee believe it or not um, slowly but surely yours and I'm not kidding um, I really like your podcast um, it's actually fascinating to listen to myself talk <laughs> I can only listen to it once and I'm like alright I'm good you know so that's where I'm at right now um, actually you know and obviously we all listen to the same CrossFit podcast speaking of Ben because I, I know Ben and I like Ben I listen to his podcast yeah oh, yeah are we you uh, yeah look we'll get, we'll get on to Ben and stuff later on um you what what brought your decision to so if you were working with him and if you were involved and in like training and stuff in new england like what brought you to leave there did an opportunity arise in i suppose what was then reebok it was reebok originally wasn't it yeah it was it was right place right time um i was training there and never coached there but i had uh, some training certifications and i could i could see the the boom i it, crossfit makes sense to me no matter what happens, 
you love the sport. I love the sport, right? And the methodology always made sense to me. And I could see where I could make a career out of it. So what I did, and to, thanks to them, I shot my resume around. And I'm, um, <laughs> you'll, I'm not small potatoes. Like, if you're going to go for it, go for it, right? So I think the path for a lot of fitness professionals is train at your local gym, work at your local gym for a year. And then hopefully in two, three years, you get seminar staff or you get recognized for something. I didn't, not that I didn't have time for that. My mindset was like, go for the big fish right away. So I went straight for headquarters. And with my background and with my resume and where I was from, they hired me. And I've been working for through the same company, even though we changed names since 2000, January 12th, 2012. So that's how it happened. Yeah. Um, And Invictus, like, I suppose it's a, like it's a bit of a beast, like it's got so many locations and so many members and so many like, you know, famous athletes down through the years have gone there and have trained there. And then obviously like your community members as well. Like, do you think it's, is it a case for Invictus of like the, the name has a specific draw because of people know what goes with it. Like people know the kind of coaching standards and they know the facility standards or like, do you think that's something that uh, say CJ has worked at, instilling from the start or do you think that it's something that's kind of grown with the company i i think it's grown with the company so like i i've remember like back in the day when like people would show up at your door and you'd be like how'd you hear about crossfit you know the internet a friend crossfit was on an episode of modern family everybody knows what crossfit is right yeah so we're kind of spoiled when they walk through our doors not only know crossfit now they know the brand so i wouldn't say it makes my job easy but it makes it easier yeah so people already know our brand. All I have to do is, all I have to do as a coach now, as opposed to even in 2015, is execute. Yeah, yeah. You know, come in, show them the right things, make them feel welcome, show them the standards, and everything blossoms from there. That's what I feel like. Yeah. So like half your job is kind of done, I guess, or the 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 what would you call it? the annoying part of your job is done right? you don't have to pr- you don't have to explain that it's worth it or you don't have to like prove that it's good or whatever the advertising is done yeah. you know people I, I literally so my our gym right now is on the main street people walk down the stairs because they saw the v sign they saw the invictus the green v and they want to come down and they want to ask questions mm. so the advertising doesn't have to be done anymore yeah. which is pretty cool um i, I wouldn't call it annoying i i i I do wonder if I worked at a small local gym, how much effort I would have to put into advertising. Now, don't get me wrong. We still do our stuff, right? Instagram. We actually have a social media manager, K Weiss. Shout out to K. Uh, we, have, we have to do certain things. We have to put ourselves out there in a way. We're not just putting our heads back or hands behind our head and having people show up. But yeah. It makes it, I'd be lying to you, Peter. It makes it easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned the invitation earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like when I was looking it up, one of the most, uh, I suppose, interesting aspects of it is your like determination to pay the, the competitors or the contestants, like with, you know, the, you've, you seem, it seems to be a fairly unique uh, way of doing it of like, you've got the, I think it's the $20 if you're entering RX and then if you're entering uh, scaled, it's 10, but with the kind of, I guess, nudge and a wink that you might also pay the extra 10, which will go towards the, the company as well. Um, why is that something that's so important for you? Well, paying the athletes? Yeah. Oh, it's huge because it's, it's, um, 
at in Peter, you you guide me. Let me know if I go off the rails because I can talk about this all day. I wanted the competition to be taken seriously. Okay, the competition we did last summer was put together in 30, 32 days, and it was great. But there's things you can only do. There's things that separate a local comp from a national comp, mm-hmm. right? I didn't pay the athletes, meaning there was no prize money. There was no. Um, we tried to televise it. We did televise it actually on YouTube. But and with my friend Justin Wright, with one camera and one shot going back and forth, it was done as well as it could be done without a money behind it. Yeah. Again, I said this earlier, I don't, want, I don't like small potatoes. So I want this to be recognized as a Wadapalooza. I want this to be recognized as a, a filthy 150. So you have to pay the athletes. Yeah. You have to pay the athletes so you get the, you know, I'm learning how the sausage is made, right? So I want big time sponsors. As a matter of fact, I'm happy and ecstatic to say that Element 26 is one of them and Spikeball is the sponsor and I'm hoping to get more. So that all comes down to the, the sport. The sport has to have athletes. The sport has to pay the athletes in order for me to get it to the place I want it to get to. So I'm yeah. very adamant about paying the athletes. Yeah, Um Spikeball and what's the other one? Uh, Element twenty six. No, the other, the other like sport, like you know, game backyard game synonymous with CrossFit, like cornhole or something, isn't it? With yes. The, yeah, there are two sports. I am so fucking shit at both of those. Like it is outrageous how bad I am at. Because I was at the games a couple of years ago and they were all set up in the camping area, like the, there's cornhole and spikeball and stuff. Literally never felt as uncoordinated just as a human i just didn't know what to so i'd like throw one of the bean bags i'd be like okay i threw that one too far i'll pull it back a little bit and then somehow the next one will go further like it just basically it was like further proof if i needed it that i'm not athletic so spike ball uh sponsoring it <laughs> like yeah it's, it, i don't know if i'd want to win one because i think it'd just be a constant brow beating for me of like Every time I hit the ball, it'd just be like, you're shit at this. Every time I hit it. Um, you, and, you and I both, my friend. <laughs> um, what will the competition look like then for, for people who have signed up? So there's an online qualifier now and then uh, finals in, in June or July, is it? Yeah, June 19th. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that when I, um, after what, I, what we did in July, yeah. right? I sat down the day after and I said, how am I going to make this bigger? So you have to, have, with COVID, you know, COVID is still a thing. Mm. You have to have an online qualifier. So the top 10 males and the top 10 females will move on to compete on an on-site competition June 19th. And I know you're, you're in Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. So June 19th, um, it's Saturday, June 19th. So, and I'll give you some context. The reason it's so big to have it on June 19th is June 19th is basically uh, Black Independence Day, if you will. Okay. I don't know if you've done any research on June 19th or you're listening I've, to I've seen you talk about it before on your Instagram. I've seen it, like, say, last summer. I'll, I'll give the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. On July 4th in America, when it's Independence Day, mm-hmm. you know, and everybody's supposed to be free, there were certain people that kept slaves. So even though slavery was abolished, they, they kept slaves and the government found out so they made, they basically went around on June 19th and said, you have to free your slaves. <laughs> it's, it's independence where we, slavery is abolished. Yeah. So June 19th was the official day where they officially abolished slavery. So you would call it 
for lack of a better term, the Black Independence Day. And that, so it was obviously important to you to have it Be, because of, I suppose, the, what would you call it, the seeds where the competition first came from with that conversation after Greg's comments to mm-hmm. have it on June 19th is obviously something that's important then. It's huge. It's, it, and um, again, I can go on tangents, so you stop me when you want. I, so listening to your podcast, and this is not a knock on the gentleman at all. I believe his name is Armin Hammer. Mm-hmm. Armin, uh, I remember him saying, I was listening to him and he said, you know, he didn't condone what Greg Glassman said, obviously, but he said, I remember him saying, yeah, well, I don't think he's racist. Yeah, he is. The guy's a racist. He said a racist thing, did the race. Walks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's racist. Okay? So now I'm looking at it from my point of view and I'm like, I got to do something because the sport you love, the sport I love, the sport we love, right, has been run ostensibly by a person that doesn't like a certain section of people. Mm. So how many times did somebody not get a sponsorship or, you know, a podcast or a tribute wrote to the games video made about them because the guy at top looked at it and said, no, not today. So something had to change. Um, Do you think like, and, so obviously yes. like it's a cataclysmic event in the sport where like mm-hmm. he just like fucking buries himself and then at least this kind of public outcry for change that I suppose even you mentioned that Armin interview there. I remember him saying like, there's not a fucking chance he'll sell even one share. So I think like most people had a similar view of like, this is probably like Cross is probably going to die here where he'll just go down with the ship and nothing will change. I think a lot of people were surprised that he sold it. And we got like the, the cry for change, I suppose was answered with Dave uh, Castro put in first of all, and then Eric buying the company. Right. Like, I suppose like I'm curious, like prior to, Greg saying those things like within the the CrossFit realm, do you think this was a problem that was rife and like people just maybe weren't uh, weren't being made aware of it? Yes, but it's it's a problem in America. Yeah, yeah. And so like it's it's um I'll I'll admit it like you kind of like look the other way sometimes because you do it it's it's you, it happens in life, but when it hits when it hits for me when it hit my doorstep like what Glassman said made the times. My father reads the New York Times. Yeah. So I not like to say I can't change America, but if I'm in the sport and I'm in the field and I can make a change, I wouldn't be doing, I feel like I wouldn't be, I'd be doing my family a disservice if I didn't do something, yeah. try something. Do you think it was a necessary, um, a necessary occurrence maybe f- to make others aware like that it's something that had to happen in some form, some kind of really shit thing had to happen in order for everyone to be like, Oh shit, there's actually a problem here. Yeah, of course. It, yeah. It, it, well, I will give the community credit. It changed, but it's not over. I always equate, I equate, um, I think that Glassman and Trump are the same person and not, this isn't political because people get all fired about politics, meaning um, Glassman and Trump are, the hokey pokey it's not what it's all about i'm not worried about those guys i'm worried about the millions of people that think like that listen glassman what glassman said was horrible in crossfit that wasn't even the worst thing that was said during that time travis williams and what's the i forget her name yeah, Jessica, um, yeah. yeah i thought that was way worse yeah does it and annoy you? does it annoy yes, you then I'm, when I'm, you see like um you know, think that the ball just keep on rolling after something like that. So after we'll say that, like, because obviously if Chandler comes out 
like Chandler Smith was involved in that as well, where he was kind mm-hmm. of in in or he was privy to the conversation, I guess, and he was the one that was kind of like, you know, what the fuck when it was said. So, like, d- does it? Obviously, you can see it from his point of view, where it's kind of like, okay, I can, I guess, maybe a little bit similar to what you're saying there about like sometimes you look the other way, where he was kind of like, look, I understand that you didn't mean it like that, but this is how it sounds, so you can't do that anymore or whatever, and kind of moved on with it rather than being like, no, fuck this, and like you know, stomping his foot kind of thing. Do you, does it annoy you when a scenario like that kind of blows over and you've got people back competing and back, you know, back, their lives just continue as normal? Or do you think that you kind of have to live in hope that that conversation is enough to change those two people's attitudes? Oh, uh, it's an interesting question. I, I, I don't believe in dwelling. Like, yeah, am I angry about what they said? Yes, of course. But my actually, so... Every time I get angry, my thing is just to do more work, yeah. per se. Like, the Invitational is a perfect example. And I'll talk about the Invitational, but that's my baby, right? I did the Invitational, and I thought the day after I could relax. The day after, my email inbox was full. So I knew I had something. So I yeah. have to make this bigger and better. So I guess my reaction, like Chandler's reaction, he got fitter. Um, my reaction is just to get better in what I'm doing. The positive, we can go down a dark path, but there's a lot of positives too. Like, I'm, the competition is so big that I ended up on three podcasts, including yours. Yeah. That's a big deal. The competition is so big that right now we currently have two games athletes and we're working on some more. You know, I've been in the competition itself has been on the morning track four times. It's a long way of saying like, yes, yeah, something like this is going to happen, but it's always going to happen. But instead of getting mad and sitting, I'm going to get mad and move on. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, is there enough happening, do you think, since the change? Like, so Eric bought the company and he set up, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact name of it, but like a, basically a diversity board or like a, a group to discuss what needs to happen and stuff. Like, is, it, like, is there something that you'd like to see immediately change? Or do you think that you... It, you kind of just have to be patient and see, give them an opportunity, give them a year or two to bed in and make the changes gradually. Or do you think it should be like, no, fuck that. It needs to happen. It should have already happened. And this needs to happen now. Peter, you're good, man. Um, so um, to Eric, I think he's doing a fantastic job. I would, I, I would have never wanted to inherit what he had inherited. Right. The guy takes over a company that's, you know, the commissioner said something you shouldn't say. So there's change. Um, and I saw, I see this moves he's making and I've heard behind the scenes, I guess the guy's a great guy to a person. Everybody says he's a nice person. Right. Um, in terms of change. And again, I, I did do some listening. I remember you were on with Bill Grundler and Chase Ingram, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you know, to be patient. There's a part of me that says, I understand that change takes time, but look in, our, uh, this is American society, right? I, and this is speaking, in black history, right? There was a time where we tried, people tried to vote and they would hose them down, right? Hit them with water hoses and they said, you know, it's not that bad anymore, things will change. So instead of hosing us down, they beat us with nightsticks, cool? After that, you know, they're like, oh, things will change, cool, don't worry, times will change. After that, beating us with nightsticks, they knelt on our necks, in, on camera. Cool, things will change, we yelled Black Lives Matter, they yelled Blue Lives Matter, and then they raided the Capitol and killed a police officer, including a person that owned a CrossFit gym. 
That's a long way of saying this, and I, I, I don't want this to come off angry. It's a long way of saying you can, I want the changes to be faster. Yeah. And I want the changes to be faster, not because I want them to be faster, because I, as a person, just a kid in Boston who you never heard of either, Peter, right? In six months, has put together now two CrossFit competitions glorifying inclusion. And I'm doing it, you literally, why it looks like I'm on a toilet, like you said, I'm doing it with my iPhone 10 with yeah. emails, Instagram messages, and text messages. My point is change can happen faster and it should happen faster. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting on a garden chair, so we're in the same. <laughs> um, with the uh, competition itself then, do you program the workouts yourself or do you outsource that? No, I program it myself. And um, is it hard? I mean, like, do you say a lot of people give Castro shit for like some of his programming for the open or for, you know, like, <laughs> people just tend to like to bitch and moan about stuff like have have you found the experience difficult of say this time where you've got the online qualifiers so you're, ha you're having to um i guess cater for people who might be in a gym might be at home might have some stuff might have no stuff and then also i guess you want it to feed into what's coming in june but you right. don't, you don't want to detract from what's coming in like you don't want to kind of dilute it too much so has that been challenging for you so Peter, I, I, this is a great question. Um, I, I feel lucky. So in terms of programming for a big time competition, the feel of the competition is I want it to be a small competition with a sanctional feel. So I'm only going to program three watts. Mm. Like I'm not doing, I don't have the, um, in my mind, I actually don't have the wherewithal to have eight watts because in three watts, you can find out who's fit and who's not. And honestly, as a spectator sport, I, I can say this and let me know if I'm out of, out of bounds. I think you're a CrossFit nerd, right? A, bit a little more, bit. Yeah. I am too, right? So for me, you and I, we might be able to sit and watch eight hours of CrossFit with no problem. But to like, uh, I always use my, 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 uh, my cousin who comes sometimes to CrossFit competitions. After two hours, he's cooked. He's like, hey, he doesn't understand, right? He, he doesn't understand the beauty it's of it. Like, surely uh, they know who's fit by now. We can just stop. Yeah, we can stop. I get it. The person with the six-pack abs can have their <laughs> chest touch the bar. I got it, right? So um, my point is the competition itself is only going to be only three hours. The qualifier wads, only two. So it's not, not to say it's not been difficult to program. COVID, COVID number 19 has throwing a monkey wrench in all our plants, right? Yeah. So I have gotten the messages and, I, and I'm so, I, I'm overwhelmed the people that are doing it from their home gyms, from their basement gyms, because mm. um, equipment's scarce or you maybe you can't go to a box. But my point is, I, it hasn't been that hard because ostensibly I've only programmed five watts. Yeah. Are you having to like put contingency plans in place for say, if you get to June 1st, and things are still looking a bit ropey or, you know, like if I don't know what the, the you, you mentioned there at the start that the gyms are open in Boston, which is great. Like, but say mm -hmm. it tends to kind of ebb and flow a bit where they're closing stuff, opening stuff closed. Like if you get to the end of May and stuff is closing, have you got a plan in your head of what you'll do? Will you postpone or have you got like kind of a, do you think you might be okay because it's 10 and 10? Oh, so, okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you hardline numbers. Last year was, was uh, ended up being 30 athletes, okay? We did it outdoors in the, not to say that we're not in the height, but I, it was July 25th. It was in the height of COVID. Last year, what we had people do is we had them fill out waivers and make sure no matter what, it was almost, I don't want to say answer at your own risk, but you had to understand if you traveled, you know, to quarantine, 
to wear masks. The only time masks were off is if you were competing and yeah. the, the event was in the outdoor, outdoor space. Yeah. I'm doing that again this year. I'm doing the event at the same venue, outdoor gym. I'm also, we also are requiring, cause I'm, I don't know what's going to happen in June. Mm. I'm not a fortune teller. So we're requiring it's in the contract, the competition corner that you should, you have to show proof of vaccination or you have to show that you have been tested within seven days of the competition. Yeah. Okay. It's the only way you can do it because, mm-hmm. you know, so the consistency plan for me, I actually have seen competitions, you know, say, no, we're not, you know, we're postponing. I don't know if it was a false sense of confidence, but when we did it in July, we had no mishaps and I credit, I don't credit myself. I credit the volunteers, the athletes, the people that wore the masks, the people that took the temperatures, the people that quarantined before they came to Boston, the people that did all the work to make sure that COVID didn't spread and to make sure everything was outdoors. Mm. So I, I'm going to go in with that same mindset, even though things are currently getting better. Like I know one of the athletes is going to compete that day is already vaccinated. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm not, that's a long way of saying I'm not postponing it. I'm not pushing it back. The plan yeah. is to make sure that if you if you were if you wanted to compete, Peter, I would say cool. But if you didn't have the things I asked for, the vaccination or the test results, I'd tell you no because I can't risk it. We yeah, can't yeah. risk it. I guess the, on, the, the only uh, issue you might run into is say if I was doing it and then I was like, oh shit, I can't leave Ireland, so I'm stuck. You might have a bit of logistics to sort out maybe a couple of weeks before to be like, well, these people can't travel and these people can, so we'll swap them in or whatever. But it's small. Oh, I, that, that happened day of. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. That happened that day. I had a person that couldn't get off the the, uh, the plane. Happened. Yeah. It, it, it's um. I guess you know. I'm gonna you you plan you plan for the things right. Yeah. Like in my head, I have all these lanes right. So it's ten. The reason it's called the Invitational, and I'm filling you in because we just met. I'm having twenty qualifying athletes, but I'm inviting twenty other athletes. Okay. So it's gonna be forty all together. Okay. Right. In my head, I have eight heats of five with beautiful lanes and everything goes right and everything's perfect and there's a wad in the winter and yay. But things go bad, right? <laughs> like, and I'll make a mistake. Like last year, I made a mistake on the hottest day. It was July 25th, outdoor competition, right? I had everything aligned and it was perfect and things went great. By the last heat, we ran out of water. <laughs> yeah you can't exactly share bottles in the middle of covid either yeah share bottles in the middle of covid so you know people were people were going to the well and dousing their heads after the walls and it's like it's um i wish again it's small i mean i'm glad that's the worst thing that happened yeah, yeah. but um i'll say this peter the way i think we'll be prepared for most things but something's yeah. gonna go awry yeah, that's fair. Um, another thing I heard you talk about recently that um, I think it's something that kind of resonated with me a bit was, I suppose, about that sort of um, something that you're kind of trying to book the trend with, I guess, of that internalized pressure of like, you know, like picking people to do things. So I know you spoke about like, say, competitions might be like, oh, we need a person to MC, so we better pick one of these three people that always MCs, or we need a yes. person to commentate, we better pick these people that always commentate because... I suppose like there's a sort of an in crowd in the sport, like 
probably because it's so young as well, where no one's retired, like no one's left. So you've got this group that maybe an, an extra couple of people are added in, but it tends to be a similar group. Um, and like nothing against them, but I suppose it's, you know, there's maybe an expectation from fans as well of like, oh, you're hosting an event, but why do you not have X, Y, or Z? Like who the fuck is this girl or who the fuck is this guy that you've got involved? Like, um, and then, you know, the people that do it by and large anyway, like are, are like they're fucking good at it. So of I suppose, like, is there something that you see you need to see happening like on a broader scale, um, you know, to open things up a little more without, I suppose, abandoning the successes that like, you know, cause like you mentioned Chase and Bill, like they're really fucking good at commentating. Like, do you know, you they're mentioned, amazing. you know, like I've had Dylan and Greg on, they're really good at emceeing. Like, so it's kind of hard. It's hard to break the mold when, the mold is so good but do you think that there's something that needs to be done by the company and then i suppose by more uh smaller scale competitions like not the games but other competitions like yours or like filthy or like sanctions and stuff no so yeah the games yeah of course the games big scale too i don't uh, i keep i've used this term three times small potatoes no big potatoes here's the problem and i, I like you said all those people are wonderful at their job james bill chase rory great all white males, every single one of them, yeah. right? It's like, I, I, had this, I can say this in confidence because I've had this conversation with Matt O'Keefe of Loud and Live Sports. So there's no black people in front of the camera. Heck, I forget, let's not go black. The only person that's not a female, not a male in front of the camera is reporter Nicole. Luckily, this time Marquez. After that, it's all white males. That's the problem. Yeah. Like, um, and my, my, my thought of inclusion is grand. So I love what they, I love what those guys do, but maybe, I don't know. Here's a thought. I'm sure they need breaks. I'm sure Greg and Bill as fit as they are, can take a break. Meaning like maybe one heat, throw out two commentators that have never done it before mm. that are different and give them a shot. Maybe they're good. You know, even behind the scenes, again, going behind the fourth wall, you know, not that it makes me different, but a, per, a person national, trying to make a competition, a national or sanctional competition, I'm the only one that's not a white male. Heck, for Christ's sake, you've had them on podcasts. The people that ran Asia CrossFit Championship, hand plan, the three white guys from Massachusetts. Like, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. Do you see where I'm going with this? Three nice white guys from Massachusetts. We'll say that. Three, great, white, three <laughs> great guys. James. And I've had the pleasure of meeting them all. Heck, I, I, I owe Austin. I owe Austin part of my career. He helped yeah. hire me. And then this is it. So when, I think there's a, there's a misconception that when I say it's only white males. Yeah, it's not their fault. Both. It's not their, like, like we said, and we both said it, anyone that's involved... Uh, I mean, there's a few shit ones, but anyone that's involved by and large is good at what they do. And that's why they're involved. And I suppose it's like from the outside looking in, like say it's, uh, it's kind of like, I wouldn't mind dipping my toe in commentating or emceeing, but I also have a kind of like a small fear that I'd be really shit at it. So I'd like to kind of like to dip my toe, but also kind of like to be just refused. So I never have to fail at it. You know what I mean? But I think it's like, it's a type of, there's like a, club like a top table that it's really you're never going to be taken seriously unless you're at that top table and I think it's very difficult to get a seat at the top table because it's full because it's like you know oh well we need commentators so we're going to pick one of these six people 
or you know a, a selection from these six people because they commentate and if you have say if i set up uh you know a big event um i don't know somewhere and i'm i'm announcing it and i'm saying like okay here's some of the athletes that we have appearing at it that develops hype then because people are like oh shit like lauren fisher's doing it or whatever like fuck it must be a big deal and then it's like right here's our mc and if it's like you know brian whoever from like london people are going to be like who the fuck is that guy like he's not going to do anything so i suppose it's like you mentioned at the very start there about how the advertising is done for you because it's invictus and because people know what crossfit is i guess the the thing that maybe will trip people up on accepting new people into the realm of like say commentating or emceeing or hosting events is that it's the advertising is already done if you say here's bill and chase they're going to commentate the event people are like oh shit okay here's where i disagree with you a little bit you know it's funny to talk about the table's full it's not the table's huge as a matter of fact our sports getting bigger there's more sanctions there's more competitions more water blues things of that nature right mm-hmm. it is hard to get in that that club that table i use myself for example i was an mc for the grid 2015 i remember distinctly the same people that did media for the grid did media for the games. I thought that was going to be my launching pad to do, be an MC for the games, to be side by side with Dylan. Okay. And maybe I'm selfish or maybe it's a, a bias or maybe I'm just living in my own world. I thought I did a great job. Okay. So now when I asked to, I asked to interview or at least talk to somebody for the, to do the games, radio silence. Okay. Now, one, maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Maybe the table was full. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the person at the top deemed it so that it's Bill Grundler and not Burn Prince. And that's not a knock on them. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's where, like, um, I felt it firsthand. And I'm, again, I want to make sure this is perfectly clear. By the way, the class is going on in the background. Do you hear too much? Britney I can Spears? hear uh, Brittany. Yeah, <laughs> I hear Brittany too. I'm so sorry. I, I, we were talking. We were getting such a deep conversation. I didn't want. At least, if up, people but, find the conversation boring, they can just tap their foot along to that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but um, my point is, is that I just—it's not that these people are bad at their job. Obviously, yeah, I think that it's impo- It is important that we are—we're not downplaying Bill or Chase or Dylan or Greg or anyone. Like you know, I've had the pleasure of talking to most of them and I admire them for what they do. Um, but yeah, I like, it just kind of spoke to me when you mentioned that. I think it was, I think it was on Bryce's one that I heard you saying it where I was kind of like, you know, the same people do the same thing for everyone. And it's kind of like someone needs to take a chance. And I guess that's what you're hoping is that you're by you doing it. Other people might follow and take a chance on other people as well. Yes, exactly. I'm moving. So there's no Britney Spears in the background. This is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm doing it so people get so other people, and I think this is important. I'm doing it so other people get a chance and to hearken on your point about like, uh, and I wasn't in no means that when I say I disagree, it's not a disrespectful way. There's more platforms than ever. I mean, there's the I, I international, I don't even know what fitness coalition. There's so many sanctions and the sport is ostensibly now, I want to call it a flux. But there's so much going on. You can have somebody different. Mm. You know, if, if you just, if you just look now, speaking of seats at the table, I, I've said this on a couple of podcasts and I want to make this very, very clear. I, my thought process is 
to keep on working and keep on moving. Right. So like my, I've said this on a couple of different podcasts. Um, I've said that we're going to come to the door and we're going to knock on the door and we're going to ask for our seat at the table. Cool. And if you don't listen, we'll keep on knocking on the door because this is what it feels like. And if you don't listen, we'll keep, I'll bring 50 people to the table. I'll bring a hundred people. I'll bring 200 people to the table because obsessively that's what I'm doing with this invitation. Right. But there's this premise that people do CrossFit, not just for the sport, but for life. Right. Ben Bergeron talks about this all the time. Keep to keep us out of the nursing home at 70 and 80. My parents are now both in nursing homes due to heart disease, diabetes, and um, Alzheimer's. This is not, I'm not telling this as a sob story. I'm saying to you that I work out so I can be healthy and I can be clear. Okay? So if, if you deny me or anybody looks like me, that right, because it, it's a right. I have the right to make sure that I am not in the nursing home at 80. Right. If I pay my 200 or 300 dollars or whatever, 100 dollars, whatever you pay for the gym, that's my right to make sure I'm out of the nursing home. And if you look at me or teach me or act differently towards me because of some small bias or you know, racist thing you have in your head, that's not right. And that's where it gets bad because you're not going to deny me that right. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. I apologize. I know that's heavy. For, I, Peter, I don't mean to get heavy on your podcast. I'm just no. Saying, well, like, there's a. I think there's a strong correlation between uh, as like Irish people, black people, and like historically being discriminated against. So I like I've never experienced it, and I don't think any of my like direct ancestors have ever experienced it. But like, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of stories about like no blacks, no Irish, no dog signs and stuff on pubs and stuff. So I think yeah, you're you're in good company. Uh, ancestrally you're in good company anyway um Invis- invictus boston then the invictus invitational and you like where do you see yourself in another few years uh i these guys are great to me uh so uh, when people look if people look this up um when we did the invitation at first it was through invictus boston and we still call it the invictus boston invitational but that that competition has allowed me to run my own startup so i i run a company now called Freedom Family Future LLC. Mm-hmm. So I see myself in some type of partnership with Invictus for, for a while. They, you know, I'm not just saying this to say this. And people can look up the names. Josh Boster is great. He's great to work for. You know, um, uh, everybody has their things. And through nine years, you go through things. And like sometimes I'm probably a pain in the ass. I know I am, right? And he's been good to me. So my, I have the opportunity to run the startup and I... Well, I see myself in a few years as the startup really taking off. Yeah, that's good. I know that with the help of Invictus, not not in spite, and they're not gonna like hold me back. They're they know everything that I'm doing. I'm very transparent. Heck, I'm on popular podcasts, including yours. So if I was keeping the secret, secrets out now. Yeah, I think the, the proper way to say that is I'm on popular podcasts and yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I'm sell yourself short. But uh, to answer your question fully. I think Freedom Family Future LLC, I want it to be the next, not to compare, but I want it to be the, I want it to take the invitation to a place where it's like loud, live, and live, loud, loud, live sports. I apologize. Yeah. Or Wadapalooza, where it's yeah. running an annual competition on its own that people already know. They say, this is the invitational. It's run by this company. I'm, I want to sign up. Yeah. I think even like uh, aligning yourself or comparing yourself or hoping to emulate something like, like loud and live is a good shout because I think you share, you seem to share a lot of the same values where 
they like to take a chance on people like even most recently they had their the trials with where they you know they tried to get new people involved in commentating as well as having the staple and they you know they've long been involved in inclusion like it's you know the crossfit are having to go to them to ask them how do they handle inclusion at Wadapalooza for adaptive athletes and stuff so i think you know you couldn't pick a better company to emulate um with that so yeah i admire that um we'll finish with a quick fire of course um, so they're all either or uh okay. okay so uh snatch or clean oh snatch a deadlift or squat deadlift all day <laughs> uh, bike or row bike uh, run or ski? Uh, run. <laughs> Both of those not good options, though. You know, it's funny. It's like, you know, it's, it's, I'm de- yeah, it's the typical meathead, right? Like the typical guy that does, uh, he wants every walk to be under 10 minutes. I'm like, is it done? Look through. Let's go, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Sing like run in 10 minutes. Yeah, run or ski, pull-ups. Uh, gymnastics, <laughs> gymnastics or cardio? Gymnastics. Uh, Celtics or Red Sox? That's the only Boston one I can think of. Oh, oh man, come on, man! I actually, this is where I'm gonna ride the fence. You can't, you can't go one <laughs> or the other. You have to actually, you know, it's I got love for both of them. That's cool. Um, well, look, thanks for taking the time out to chat, and um, best of luck with the invitation. I hope it can run like exactly as planned. Um, is there still time to sign up, or where can people find out more information about it? Yeah, um, I, I want to. So you can go to Competition Corner. It's still time to sign up. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a quick rundown because I know you have to go. Uh, it's open until February 21st. Okay. There's two wads. They're both listed, Ross Fit and Alexander Dumas. People can DM me or email me on Burn K Prince at Instagram, at Instagram at Burn K Prince, or email me at burn at invictusboston.com. Um, not hard to find. Uh, but yeah, registration is open until February 21st. Cool. Perfect. And then top 10 go on to the competition. Top 10 males, top 10 females, RX, move on to the on-site comp June 19th, Perfect. where there's a chance to win a prize purse. Right now, valued at $3,000. Hopefully, we can raise that up as sponsors come to fill in. Cool. And I know I'm throwing out a lot. I'm also still looking for sponsors, so they can DM me or go through you or whatever you whatever's best man if a sponsor comes looking i'm not sending them past me they can stop at I, me sort me out <laughs> first and then move on <laughs> i yes when i you always end the podcast or start the podcast with patreon uh yes if you want to support the podcast i love that yeah. um, um and yeah. I, by the way you'll go ahead sorry sorry no go on i'm i i, I truly i don't uh i actually have a a, a partner a, a business partner that always says uh explain what you want people to take away from the podcast i have no idea sometimes um i'm i'm just i'm very i mean this from the bottom of my heart um i appreciate you putting me on your podcast because i i know i dm'd you i went to you you didn't come to me and i I, um i just appreciate it and i hope what i don't know if people enjoy it or not enjoy it but i just hope people understand a little better what we're doing yeah best of luck with the invitation and i'll be keeping an eye on it and i'll i'll share uh whatever i can through this episode with it as well Awesome. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, man. Enjoy the rest of your day.